0: Before I read God's word, let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that uh, even while we're apart, we can hear your word together. And we thank you that it is such a good word, the true word, the teaching of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Uh, please give us understanding of this word, convict us of its truth. Move us to live the life it describes so that we would honour Jesus and be amongst the blessed. And help me to teach your word now faithfully and truthfully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, unless we're religious, uh, we probably don't use the language of blessing very much except when people sneeze. And so when Jesus talks about who is blessed it probably doesn't hit us with as much force as it should. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, to those who follow him, to us, those who believed his preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, that this is the person you want to be. Being blessed is a happy state, but is not the same as being happy. Happiness is a subjective state, how you feel, and it's a contradiction to declare happy those who are grieving. But being declared blessed is Jesus making an objective judgment, a commendation. He's not describing how these people feel, but declaring how God thinks about them. The blessed are those approved by the God who runs the universe, those favoured by him, those who will enjoy his commitment to their flourishing. And as a consequence, these are the people whose place in life is an enviable one, who are doing well, and should be congratulated. Jesus is saying in the end that these people are the winners, those we should want to be amongst. And he's also saying, here, why they're the winners, for theirs, say, is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs will be comfort. Yet Jesus' commendation is surprising. Surprising because it's so different to what is generally called to bless the enviable life in our society and it's also so different from our lived experience those he calls blessed are often regarded as the opposite as those who miss out and their experience we know is miserable it's miserable to mourn to hunger and thirst these blessings called beatitudes are surprising because they're so different and yes they're surprising as we'll see because they are so good so good that These people are reckoned as blessed and surprising because Jesus is so certain in his judgment, so certain that this is and will be the case that these people are blessed. So the question, as you see both the difference and the goodness of these Beatitudes is, can Jesus be believed? Believed so that we change our thinking and our lives to be amongst those he declares blessed in a sense, that's the goal of this talk, <clears throat> that you see the difference, you see the goodness, you see the certainty of these blessings so that trusting Jesus, you will change your thinking to value what Jesus commends, change your life so that it becomes a blessed life. But I also hope as you think about them that you will find it refreshing as I have this week, refreshing to be lifted out of our present passing preoccupations to think about what is valued always, what matters for eternity. Now, let me help you get a feel of the difference by giving you my take on a matching summary of what's normally thought of the blessed, the enviable life in our society. Now, let me say this is not deep sociological research, uh, just thinking about the messages we constantly get from everywhere really online radio tv movies you might be able to create a better summary but see if in the main it rings true helps you get a feel for the difference between what Jesus is saying and what society reckons to be the blessed the enviable life so here's my here's my take on that so in our society blessed are the rich and powerful for they enjoy the good life now we've seen it when we've been taken through their houses or holidays and all sorts of lifestyle programs and they even get a better ride in coming back to Australia don't they because they can afford business class. Oh blessed are the cheerful and the always laughing for they know no pain or cares and they're good to be around they're not a pain like the glum. Oh blessed are those who insist on their own rights and way for they get their own way they know what they deserve and that's satisfying and empowering. Blessed are the morally flexible who leave God out of the picture and the cynical who know that nothing really matters for they can get on with everyone. They move on so much more easily and often they sleep so much better at night. Blessed are those who know charity starts at home and make sure that freeloaders aren't indulged for they'll always have enough to look after themselves. Blessed are those whose feet are planted firmly on the ground and are not directed in life by anything other than being true to themselves but they'll realise their ambitions. Blessed are those who can live with workable compromises that are not too costly because that allows all of us to get on with our own business. And blessed are those who always live in tune with the spirit of the age because they'll always be popular. And Christian, yes, you're blessed too when you keep a low profile, blend in and keep your faith in Jesus to yourself. Rejoice because you'll be allowed to participate in society and enjoy all its benefits now and this, the best of all possible worlds, just like everybody else. Now, as I've said, that's not scientific. But some version of that, and you might like to distill your own experience of the world, is not far off the mark. That's the message we get every day. But Jesus' take is different. Let's think about it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not the rich, but the poor, the poor in spirit who are blessed. Who are they? Well, the poor in spirit are the needy, those who know that they have no hope in themselves and no hope in other people. Like the Old Testament poor, their only hope for help is in the Lord himself. To be poor in spirit is to acknowledge that you are a spiritual bankrupt. That you are empty before God with nothing to offer him, and you can rely on his mercy and grace alone. Jesus told a story in Luke that illustrates what it is to be poor in spirit. A, A story about a Pharisee and a tax collector going to pray. You probably know it. The Pharisee went up and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That tax collector, looking only for mercy, shows us what it is to be poor in spirit. And the Lord says the poor in spirit are blessed because the kingdom of heaven, the promised reign of God, is theirs and theirs alone. Did you notice that apart from verse 10, which also speaks of present possession of the kingdom, all the other blessings Jesus speaks are in the future. But for the poor in spirit, that reign is theirs now. Why? It's because they embrace the gospel they embrace the repentance that both John and Jesus called for in the preaching of the gospel. You see, repentance is an acknowledgement that I'm in the wrong, that my life deserves God's judgment, not His blessing, that as I am, I deserve exclusion, not inclusion. Repentance is a confession of poverty of spirit. And the poor in spirit gratefully embrace the gospel. Thankful for an opportunity to be included by believing the gospel and relying on the king who proclaims the coming of the kingdom in himself. Now, what would have surprised Jesus' first here is even more was that it was not the Pharisee confident in his own keeping of God's law and not that group called the Zealots who were so confident of their own rightness that they could use violence to establish God's reign on earth not them but the poor in spirit who had no confidence in themselves but whose only hope was God who alone possessed the kingdom. Making this the first beatitude tells us that all that's going to follow in this sermon on the Mount Matthew 5-7 to with its call for a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees with its instruction on how to live as one of Jesus' followers is not a self-help program or a way of earning your place in God's kingdom. No, it's the life of those who have received God's kingdom as an undeserved gift. The sermon, as we'll see, taken seriously, will foster poverty of spirit, reliance on God alone. And unless you are poor in spirit, receive the kingdom as a gift like a little child, this sermon will either crush you or drive you to minimise Jesus' demands on your life. But it's actually so good, isn't it, that there is hope for the poor in spirit. Those whom life has beaten up and forced to face that they have no hope in themselves. It's good, isn't it, that it's not the self-righteous who proudly reinforce their sense of spiritual superiority and look down on others. And not those so convinced of their righteousness that they think they can embrace violence to do God's will on earth. Not them, but the humble who are given the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We have so much trouble thinking those who mourn are blessed. Mourning is just so exhausting and preoccupying, it's painful to be enveloped in grief. But Jesus is talking about mourners, those who grieve for loss, who feel the weight of the horror of death and the misery it brings, who grieve for the not rightness of this sundering of the relationships, this ending of love, this denial of the worth of our labours. But he's also talking about those who mourn, who grieve for sin, like the psalmist whose eyes shed streams of tears because people himself and others do not keep God's law Oh, and he's speaking of those who grieve for the destruction sin brings into people's lives, for the effects of people's foolish choices. And don't you feel that sometimes? You look at people lured into a gambling addiction, young people making destructive choices to get involved with drugs. Oh, you look in the bigger scale at the desolation wrought in Syria by civil war and ISIS, and doesn't it break your heart? Don't you know sometimes an inconsolable inconsolable sadness for our world? But Jesus says it is those who mourn, not others, who will be comforted, and that's good, isn't it? Good that followers of Jesus can be realistic about the human condition, about our own condition. We don't have to pretend. And we don't have to think that some stoic, stolid impassiveness is the ideal we can mourn and it's good to think that there is a hope of comfort that grief will not crush us in the end but what kind of comfort can deal with the great weight of human grief blessed are those blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth the word translated meek can also be translated humble or gentle Meekness has the sense of controlling your desire or limiting the expression of your power or legal right to put another's interest ahead of your own. Meekness is not insisting on your own way, on always having to be the winner. It's not the same as weakness or moral indifference or just being nice. No, it's stronger than that. Moses is described as very weak, as very meek, sorry, more than all the people on earth and he was a person of great strength and authority. Meekness, in fact, flows from trust in the Lord, the just judge of all, and from being able to entrust your cause to God. But meekness is so out of fashion. The philosopher Nietzsche, very influential, especially despised meekness as a feature of what he called slave morality that inhibited living life to the full, that frustrated the will to power that uh, you needed to transform your life to a higher plane of humanity. And despite Nietzsche going out of favour because his association with Nazism, many in practice follow him, embracing self-assertion and aggression to get their own way. The meekness, in, we assure in our society, is for losers by its very nature, ensuring you miss out on what is rightfully yours. But Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth, that God will ensure they come, to what is rightfully theirs in the new heaven and earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst are so uncomfortable and so distracting. And righteousness, here acting rightly, living in right relationship with God by living in conformity with his covenant and the law within it is so difficult to attain, not only for ourselves but for the world. So this is a kind of unquenchable hunger, an insatiable longing that God be honoured by his law being kept in your life and the world. It's a hunger that a pragmatic society, one that seeks to keep people of very diverse worldviews living in harmony on a lowest common denominator moral commitment, has little tolerance of. But Jesus says that those with this disturbing hunger who cannot live, who are sustained only by doing God's will, that those with this disturbing hunger are blessed, for they and they alone will be satisfied, their longings met. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. With this fifth beatitude, we move in a sense to one like the seventh that's generally admired. Mercy is close to grace, but can be distinguished from it. Grace is oriented to dealing with sin, mercy to need to being compassionate towards those who are in pain, misery and distress, the good Samaritan showed mercy to the wounded man. Mercy and grace, though, are very close, for often the distress and need arises because people have done the wrong thing, are suffering the consequences of wrong choices. But mercy is still to be shown. Yet while mercy is admired in principle, it's often neglected in practice because mercy costs Costs time and money. The cost of involving yourself in another's misery. Of not being able to live your life just looking after yourself and pursuing your own plans. Yet Jesus says the merciful are blessed for they will receive mercy. They will receive what we all need because we all become needy in the end through frailty and sickness, through the sinful actions of others, assault or theft. But Jesus is especially speaking of our need for God's mercy, our need not to be left helpless, dying in our sin. The merciful and only the merciful receive that mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, (coughs) for they shall see God. To be pure in heart is to be single-minded, It's like the purity of refined sugar before someone sticks their wet teaspoon back in it. You know, pure sugar means that all you find there is sugar. No matter how deep you dig, it's just sugar all the way through. A pure heart is one where all you find is a desire to honour God. A heart free from double-mindedness and hypocrisy. A heart freed from all idolatry, given wholly, to the great command, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. Now we think people lose themselves when they open themselves up to such a love or that others around might lose them. Yet that single-mindedness makes them people of integrity, trustworthy and reliable. And losing themselves to pursue what pleases God alone, they and they alone will achieve what they desire. They will see... God they will know him be able to live in his presence blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God our world praises peacemakers because peace is good but our world's understanding of peace is so limited we call people who stop conflict peacemakers even where there's no reconciliation and the focus is always on horizontal relationships person to person Jesus is speaking of a bigger peace. He's speaking of what in the Old Testament's called shalom, the peace that is freedom from fear of the hostility of others, freedom from fear of want, freedom from fear of death, secure and lasting peace and prosperity at peace with God, the peace that will one day embrace the world. Peace after peace has been lost. In Isaiah, God had said that there is no peace for the wicked. But he also prophesied a day when peace would be proclaimed to those under judgment. The peacemakers Jesus is talking about are those who can bring peace by bringing peace with God, who bring people back to God by preaching the gospel of repentance and forgiveness. Now Jesus will go on and speak of the cost of this peacemaking in Matthew 10 and 25, the cost of being rejected, abused, of being poor and homeless. Yet they will be called sons of God, identified as gods because they share his character and his desire and they belong to his family forever. Blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. (coughs) Righteousness is faithfulness to the covenant, to the covenant God. But holding fast to his standards can generate hostility. Being exclusively loyal to him, worshipping him alone can bring persecution. Those faithful to him, says Jesus, are blessed even as they experience rejection and abuse in the world for that loyalty. For theirs already is the reign of God. For they live in repentance and faith with all their hope in God alone. But Jesus expands this last blessing to focus now on his hearers' response to Jesus himself, on their commitment to him. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus can make this expansion because... He is the covenant God come amongst his people. He brings the reign of God in himself. So now loyalty to the covenant, righteousness is persevering in following him. Those who are his have embraced the reign of God and should rejoice now in the present when abused for his sake because they are now in the camp of the prophets, those who spoke of Jesus' coming, those who have been shown to be in the right, shown to be truly God's people by Jesus fulfilling their words in his coming. Now, each of these Beatitudes deserves more time, but I want you to get a sense of the whole to glimpse their goodness. You see, step back and think, what would a person who embodies these characteristics be like What would a society, a world, a universe where those who lived this way were the winners be like? Where the humble, not the self-confident and proud, were welcome. Where a moral seriousness that made you more compassionate, more merciful, more prepared to put others first, was admired. Where we didn't have to pretend about the horror of sin and death, didn't have to relate on the basis of a superficial cheerfulness, that could not acknowledge the grief. Where people would look to the interests of others, not aggressively promote their own. Where people had a passion to do what's right and were willing to pay a cost to do what's right. And don't we long for that. Where need would be met by compassionate help, not critical condescension and condemnation. And you could trust others because of their integrity, could live free of the deceptions and disappointments of hypocrisy and where we would know and treasure peace. People who embrace this life would be good to be around, wouldn't they? In fact, that kind of person would be good to be. And the society where they were recognised and rewarded is so good. But how could that happen? You see, there are reasons people don't pursue this way of living and you probably know them. It is uncomfortable to mourn. It is disturbing to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is genuinely costly to practice mercy and it's often painful to be persecuted, to be pursued and bullied for doing what's right, to always be the odd one out by taking God's way seriously in a world that wants to keep God at a distance. How could Jesus really say they are blessed? How could he be so sure that there will be comfort for mourners, satisfaction for those who long for righteousness, that the pure in heart will see God, that peacemakers be called sons of God, that those who embrace the repentance he called for will be welcome in God's kingdom, live under God's reign forever? It seems all so unlikely. How can Jesus be so confident? And yet... He is confident as he speaks both of the present and the future. How? It's because Jesus lived this blessed life. He himself vindicated it, and he himself, in that vindication, brings the blessing he declares. That's right, Jesus lived, embodied the blessed life he taught. And the references are there in the outline. Jesus wept tears over Jerusalem as he considered its stubborn unbelief and the judgment that would follow. Jesus described himself as meek and lowly of heart, and he was. He was patient with those who made demands on him. And rather than form his followers into a powerful political and military force to get his own way, rather than use his power to destroy those who opposed him, he humbly pursued our good, going to the cross. He was meek. And he pursued and taught righteousness. He could say that his food was to do the will of him who sent him and to accomplish his work, that that is what sustained him. He was merciful, turning away none who came to him, relieving their suffering, even if it meant he had no time to rest or eat. And he was merciful to us, giving his own life to free us from the misery of death. And Jesus was pure in heart He lived to do the Father's will, to please him alone. He loved him with all that he was. And Jesus is the one who makes peace with God through his death for our sin and comes and preaches peace to us through the gospel he entrusted to his apostles. And on the cross, suffering for righteousness, he was the poor man who cried out to the Lord, who put his hope in the Lord alone into your hand I commit my spirit he said and being the man who embodied this blessed life jesus died died a shameful death on the cross and in that death he could have become the great contradiction of all he claimed and taught the one who showed by his, the outcome of his life that miserable outcome It actually really is the rich and the powerful, the personally ambitious and ruthless who are blessed. On Easter Saturday, you could have thought that. You could have spoken these blessings and laughed at the naivety of Jesus and his followers and said, dear friend, believe that, live like that and you know what will happen? You'll end up just like that Jesus bloke. But then the next day, his shattered followers came to his tomb and found it empty. And in their bewilderment and grief, they were met by the risen Jesus. God, the God of Israel, the true and living almighty creator, had raised him from the dead. Embodying in himself this life, Jesus has vindicated it in himself. shown that this is the life, the almighty father reckons the right life, the life he looks on with favour, the life he will cause to flourish in his kingdom, the blessed life. Jesus has shown that when he speaks so confidently, he speaks the truth. Hear these blessings and you are hearing the pronouncements of the risen king, the one who truly brings God's reign, the one whose judgments will be established forever, the one who can forgive. Those who give themselves to be these people, the poor in spirit, the meek, the mourners, will be seen as winners when the Son is revealed in glory. So this is the life you should want for yourself, for Jesus brings what he declares. He guarantees the kingdom is for those who repent and believe the gospel and who will persevere in that belief despite the opposition, for he and he alone through his obedient death for sin can fit them, can fit any to live in God's presence. Oh, Jesus brings the poor in spirit to live in the presence of God now through giving them the Holy Spirit and he will bring them to live in his kingdom forever. And yes, Jesus brings the comfort, the inheritance, the satisfaction, the mercy, the vision of God, the adoption into God's family that he promises. He brings that now in part and assures us that believers will know its fullness at the resurrection and that's true. Now already we know the beginning of the fulfilment of these blessings. Consider, in grief, now we can mourn as those who have hope, who know our fellow believers have fallen asleep and will rise in Christ. And then at the resurrection of Christ, that gives us this present hope. Well, we'll also, in that resurrection, come to that wonderful day when every tear will be wiped From our eyes. Our hunger for righteousness now is beginning to be satisfied as we know the power of the Spirit to put sin to death. But there's a fullness. One day we will be like our Lord, doing God's will perfectly. We know mercy now, forgiveness and grace to help us in our need. But one day we will know the mercy that has freed us from all grief and pain, all want and weakness as we rise with Christ. And trusting Jesus, embracing the gospel, making peace by sharing the gospel. We are already adopted as God's children. And one day that will be revealed to all. Jesus lived this life. He embodied the blessed life. He vindicated that life. And Jesus brings the blessings he declares. Now the kingdom, the reign of God, does belong to all who are poor in spirit who know the only hope they have is to repent, to turn back from relying on themselves and directing their lives to do their will and to instead trust Jesus and follow him by doing his will and persevere in that no matter what the cost. Now we have the down payment in our adoption as God's children and the gift of the Spirit of the Son of all that is promised. And so we know the fullness of what is promised is sure that the meek will inherit the earth, the pure in heart will see God, the mourners will be comforted. So pursue and embrace this good life, this blessed life. And you know what? That starts in your thinking. So ask yourself, who do I really believe is blessed? Because that is what you will pursue and what you will want to be. There is, on the one hand the ever-present vision of the good life promoted by the world, the world that wants nothing to do with the rule of the living God, promoted powerfully in our TVs, Facebook pages, in newspaper and on radio, and sometimes in our schools and families, a vision of the good life that focuses on self and living true to your own desires and ambitions. And then there is the vision of the good life taught by the risen Jesus In his gospel. Who do I really believe is blessed? Do I actually trust Jesus, crucified and risen? That he has authority to establish what he teaches. You see, the blessed life starts with changing your mind about Jesus. And then letting Jesus change your mind about the good life. If you trust Jesus, confess him, Lord, then you will actively resist the lies that we are told by our society about the good life. You know, that money solves everything, so it's good to be rich. Oh, that you're a good person, so God should take you on your terms. Never confess poverty of spirit. Oh, that taking Jesus seriously will only make you a pain. If you trust Jesus, you'll resist those lies and actively pursue the life Jesus teaches is blessed. Practising the humility that confesses that unless Jesus saves you, you are lost. Living convicted of the destructiveness of sin so that you shun it. Putting the needs of others above your own, being sustained by doing Jesus' will, showing generosity to those in need, longing to love the true God only, and not sharing your devotion with anyone or anything else. Sharing the gospel, that brings peace. Trusting Jesus, you'll pursue that life daily. Daily, you will let your life be changed by his word and spirit. And you will only keep on with that blessed life if you keep Jesus big in your thinking, his love, his power, and how good it is to know his mercy, to be at peace with him. And so where you're failing to pursue this life, you should be asking yourself, what do I think of Jesus? But where Jesus has the honour and trust his greatness deserves, you will live this life confidently and count yourself blessed when you suffer abuse for his sake, you'll rejoice to be slandered for his sake, for you know that your Lord Jesus gives you the kingdom. Reckon with these beatitudes. Give yourself time to see their goodness, to measure your life against them and change what needs to be changed by God's grace. For it's only those who live this way who the King of the universe says are blessed now and forever. Reckon with these beatitudes and thank the Lord Jesus that he lived this good life, that he's vindicated this life And he calls us to live this good life with him as we turn to him in repentance and faith and trusting him be reckoned amongst those who in the end are the winners, who are blessed now and forever. Let's pray and then Clinton will come and continue praying for us. (coughs) Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, these words of our Lord Jesus are not long or hard to memorise. And so we pray in our mercy that they would sink into our hearts, that we would know them and treasure them and turn them over in our minds, and that we would be challenged about what we think is the blessed, the good life. And in your mercy, give us such a conviction that Jesus has died for our sins and risen again, that he is Lord now. Give us such a conviction of the truth of the gospel and of Jesus' love and power that we embrace this good life, that we ourselves long to be and know ourselves to be those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who live meekly, who hunger for righteousness, who show mercy, who are pure in heart, who make peace by spreading the gospel and living the gospel. Our Father, we pray in your mercy, move us to embrace and live the blessed life. To the glory of our Lord Jesus, we ask this in his name.